0: Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chi FM. I am Rabbi Ari Keevan and it's great to be with you here this afternoon. Before we begin, important message from Discam Linksfield. They've opened a magnificent new store in the neighborhood complex in Linksfield, corner of Sivan and Club Street. It's a full-line Discam store which means that in addition to your meds, supplements, hygiene and health foods, Diskem Linksfield has a wellness and a baby clinic. There's ample free parking, and remember, Diskem also do free delivery. That's Diskem Linksfield, pharmacists Cure. Whenever you might be facing whatever kinds of personal challenges, difficulties, call it disasters. You know, in a sense, you could learn something from Noah. Noah was like many of us, he was quarantined. Noach was in the ark for the whole period of the flood. And actually, it wasn't just the 40 days and nights of the flood itself. Noah was stuck in that ark for an entire year. That's right, for a full year, he was in that ark. And you can imagine, when one is isolated, quarantined, when one is stuck there in that ark, that... You want some outlet. And in fact, one of the things we learned yesterday uh, from the Parsha was the idea that when Noah left the Ark, he actually, what was the first thing he did besides for offering sacrifices which symbolize our attitude of gratitude which is very important to express that thanks to God and to be appreciative and thank God that his family was rescued, thank God that his family was saved. But another interesting thing we see he does is that he plants a vineyard and we know the result of that was he drinks wine and gets intoxicated. And yet, God wasn't so pleased with Noah doing that. Why not? What was wrong? And the truth is, if you think about this a little bit more, about Noah's behavior, drinking wine, you think, you know... The whole world, as Noah knew it, was decimated. He spent the entire year in in lockdown. It was isolation for him, for his family, for the animals that he brought along and so one of the commentaries tells us that God wasn't pleased that god that, that Noah planted the vineyard. Why is that his first activity? planting a vineyard, getting drunk so we understand that drunk behavior isn't appropriate right but what was the initial error why was hashem displeased with noah's planting of the vineyard and some explained that noah's issue was that of his priorities instead of focusing on rebuilding the world so to speak he chose a task which was once again all about himself His direct, immediate pleasure. What's in it for me? And this was perhaps reminiscent of the generation that was just eliminated. It was just wiped off the face of the earth. Hashem had hoped that after a year in quarantine, Noah would have ensured the way forward would be different. God was hoping the ways of the world before the flood would look different to the ones after Noah's initial actions did not give Hashem confidence that that's going to happen. And in a sense, you can think about here, we've come out of the harsh lockdown. You think of those in Australia or Israel who have come out of lockdown this week. Or even many people are back in lockdown in other parts of the world. In my hometown of New York, many of the communities are back in lockdown. Now, fortunately for us, the COVID numbers are definitely nowhere where it was back in July and August, right? There seems to be light at the end of this corona tunnel. And hopefully we could send out our dove and it won't return. It's safe to leave the ark. We could start venturing out. And I know, especially in the senior community that I deal mostly with, many people are certainly being a lot more cautious. Some people are still staying at home. And by the way, if you are staying at home and you need assistance, whether it's that weekly phone call of checking in a wellness phone call to see how you're doing, or the bi-weekly, and I don't say bi-weekly because we actually send food parcels out every week, but it's just the, the list has grown. There are many people who need that assistance, so we can't send every person every week, so pretty much everyone gets every other week or every third week depending on how many people need. So if you need a food parcel, we'll be glad to send one to you. And if you're not receiving one from me already, just let me know and I'll make sure to add you onto the list. If It's not only about food parcel. Not everybody gets a food parcel. Many people get reading material. And we're currently sending out books. Tomorrow we'll be sending out tehillims to everyone on the list. If you would like a tehillim, a large print, beautiful tehillim, let me know. We'll make sure to get a tehillim out to you. So this is what we're trying to do is to help everyone out. But still, even if you're still in quarantine, maybe you want to start venturing out a little bit. According to the law, it's legal. You're allowed to go out. But don't let your guard down. It's still coronavirus. So perhaps you don't have to be in the same quarantine that you previously were in. But still, going out, Make sure you're doing so safely. Making sure you're wearing your mask at all times. You're sanitizing as often as possible. You're keeping that social distancing. Make sure you're cautious. But don't forget also to be joyous. It's also very important. And so if we look about Noah coming out of the ark, as we are coming out of our lockdowns, out of our quarantines, and we want to be able to get back to normal. We want things to return to the way they were before. I see Kauai has an ad going on these days. Don't go back to abnormal. So we have to make it new. We have to have a new way of seeing the world. The question is, how has the experience of quarantine, of lockdown changed us? Do we step off the boat and just go back to the abnormal life we had before Corona? Do we forget the crucial message that these past months have hopefully taught us? Are we just going back to our drinking? No. Yes, you might want to have a lechayim, And I think it's it's good to have a lechayim sometimes. Lechayim's are definitely worthwhile. Done in a balanced and measured and safe way. But we have to know that what have we learned? How have we changed? How have we become better? What has this whole lockdown experience taught us and I gotta say personally in the past week since the past few days since our baby was born, it's, it's heartwarming to see so much care and concern that people have expressed and, and the love. And not only for us, I see so many people, there's, there's a lot of love, care, concern that people are sharing with each, with each other. And I think we've come to notice and acknowledge the value in so many aspects of life that perhaps were wrongly ignored beforehand. Right, The the treatment and respect for others has been a real focus that people have been spending time on these days. The phone calls to others, the care, the concern, the love. But let's make sure we don't go back to abnormal, to the way it was before. Let's not make Noah's mistake. We go out and we can be proud of everything we learned and let's try to become better. Cure for our most vulnerable. Let's show appreciation and give thanks to those who make our lives a little bit easier and better. So, L'chaim certainly is worthwhile. But it's not the priority. And that was Noach's mistake. That he made Lachayim his priority. That the first thing he comes out of the ark is the Lachayim, is a drink. That shouldn't be the way it is. We should certainly strive to also have the more important priorities of our life in place. So the thing is that it's not only about coronavirus. And corona certainly has highlighted many people's personal struggles and challenges and difficulties that a lot of people are going through. I've seen it, whether in crisis response or in other aspects, that... People are going through their own floods, through their own difficult personal disasters. And the question is, how do we deal with these situations? And so we have the two birds in our parsha. Noah sends out the two birds, first he sends out the raven, and then he sends out the dove. And the question we ask is, why two birds? Why was it necessary to send both of them out? Is it Was it necessary to have two birds? To see if the land was dried and habitable? Was that necessary? And so, this is an important question that's asked by some of the great commentators, especially the Nitziv, Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. And he asks this question, of course, the Torah not being his story, it being our story, we're going to have to glean the important lesson and message that is the reason of why he sent out both the raven and the dove. When we think about this in greater detail, we realize that the symbolism of both of these animals, okay? What was Noah trying to accomplish? Why did he even preempt God's instruction? Ultimately, God tells him to leave the ark. And that's another important lesson. God says, go into the ark. What is the Hebrew word for ark? Teva. What else does Teva mean besides for ark? Teva means letters. And so perhaps as the Baal Shemtub explains, the message for us is not only to go into the ark, to protection, to isolation, to quarantine during that difficult time. In his days, in the time of the flood. In our times, during a pandemic. But there's another source of solace that could certainly help us of comfort. And that is, Teva means the letters. The letters of Torah. The words of our prayers. With which we connect with God. And we glean inspiration for our lives. And that too is very important for each of us. So the question then God finally says go out of the ark. Don't just stay stuck in the ark. Yes, we have to pray. Yes, we have to study. But we also have to know to listen to the instructions of the medical professionals. We also have to know to listen to what science tells us. And not that science has it right. I mean, we've all seen how many times there have been contradictions coming out from the, in the states, it's the CDC, uh, globally, the World Health Organization, they tell us that we have to... Lockdowns are good, then they tell us lockdowns are no good. They tell us this medicine is good, that medicine is good, then it's no good. There's still a lack of clarity. But God's instructions same in table. Don't get stuck just in the prayers. Don't get stuck just in the Torah. Yes, that's important and that's a primary foundation. We have to start there. But not to get stuck there. They have to know the time to go out. There's been a lot of controversy in Israel over the years about people who spend all their time only in study. Study is important, just as important as it is to serve in the military and to protect and defend the land. It's also important to have people who study and pray and give us the spiritual protection. But for everyone it's necessary to connect, go into the Taba and know when to go out of the Teba. Not just go out, or to me going out of the Teba means to take the message of the lessons, the inspiration that we gained from our Torah study, and have that guide us into our life, into our workforce, into into wherever we go, that the Torah should be our inspiration. So let's take that inspiration here from the message and lesson this week. Why specifically these two birds, the raven first, And then the dove. Because of course, there are messages and lessons that we have to take from it. So let's start off with learning a little bit about the personality of each of these birds. Okay? We notice that the raven, let's first look at the story, the context. The raven doesn't really serve much of a purpose. The raven, all it does is, is hovers around the ark, right? Goes around back and forth until the waters are dried up. And that's it. Doesn't really serve a purpose. So why did he, why did he send? And there's going to be a powerful message and lesson that Kabbalah teaches that I want you to stay tuned for. Now, the Yona, which is translated as a dove or a pigeon, that would be the bird that ultimately gives the message to leave. But even the Yona doesn't exactly immediately give that message. It doesn't right away come with the olive branch. First, It just circles around. Then it comes back with the olive branch. And then finally it doesn't even return at all. So let's understand the, let's understand the meaning of each of these personalities. The raven is described in Jewish literature as a cruel and selfish animal. Ravens are known to abandon the young. They leave them with no means to live. In Tehillim it says, if Ibhema Lachma gives animal, gives the animal its food and to the young ravens that call out, why? Because their own mother, their own parent abandoned them. That's the nature of the raven. Very self-centered. Whereas the Yona, the dove is known to be as a bird that is gentle, caring, loving. And they symbolize, in fact, love, kindness, and peace. That's the symbolism we know of the dove. Now let's understand in the context of our Parsha, the message and lesson that is relevant in each of these. And we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9, Chai FM. So we're talking here about the character of the birds. We said the raven is of a cruel nature, and we said that the dove is more kind-hearted, is known to be gentle, loving, caring, and in fact it's the bird that symbolizes peace. We see that it's a common, it's commonly known when it comes with the olive branch. So, the question then of course is, if the raven didn't accomplish anything, if the raven just went out and circled around the ark, why send the raven? What was Noah's purpose? What was behind this? And for that, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into the mysticism of the two birds. Let's understand this. We know that the raven has got a little bit of negative... Uh, press coverage, okay? The raven being known as the bird that is evil, that is cruel. Obviously, we're still more so perplexed now. Why would Noah send this bird? What purpose does it serve? So I would like to go into a little bit of mysticism. And I want to go into a very interesting commentary By Rav Tzadok Hakohen, who explains something that I think we could all learn about, and hopefully will teach us a little bit about our flood insurance. Okay, he says that the precedent of the raven to the dove—why Noah sends the raven before the dove—is not limited to the, um, you know, just the chronology that what, what happened there. But rather, there is a deeper aspect to this. There's a natural procession in the hierarchy of good and evil in the world. Evil precedes good. Just as a very interesting concept that the shell, it's called Kripa, I understand a little bit of Hebrew. Just bear with me. According to Kabbalah. Now, I'm going to share something else. We know, last week we read the narrative of the world's creation. And what came first? It says, First it was evening, then it was morning. What's the significance? First it was evening, then it was morning. Our sages tell us, evening represents darkness in the world. Evening represents our evil inclination, which comes into us at birth. And morning, day, represents, symbolizes light, our good inclination. So the good inclination comes only, it's developed as we mature. As we get older, we become more mature in the world. That's when our good inclination develops within ourselves. So naturally, we're not evil. I wouldn't say that we're born evil, God forbid. But we're born more narcissistic, self-centered. I look at my beautiful brand new baby, just three days old. And she cries, she wants to eat. A Naturally, we are self-centered. As we develop, as we become more mature, we understand and appreciate not just to be focused on ourselves, but rather to care for others. You've heard this message from me before. The difference between the soul and soil. What's the difference? One letter. Soil is S-O-I-L. Soul is S-O-U-L. An animal, we're told that we have two souls, our godly soul and our animal soul. The animal cares for, animal looks in the soil, it's entrenched in the soil, S-O-I-L, it's all about me, myself, and I. What can I gain today? What's in for me? That's why an animal does what it wants, where it wants, when it wants. I'm sure animals have compassion and care as well. But for the most part, they care about themselves. That's S-O-I-L. But we are told that we also have a godly soul, that's S-O-U-L. It's about my care, concern for another. And so, if our care, concern for the others, that is the message of S-O-U. What can I do for another? Our evil inclination comes first, only with time does our good inclination develop. We see the same idea, Vahi Erev, first comes the darkness, first comes the evil inclination, then comes Boker, then comes the light in our own lives. Says Rav Tzedakah Hakohen. if you look at the hierarchy of the evil versus good, he says, Kabbalah explains that all the evil in this world Firstly, the evil comes before good, as we explained. but He explains the symbolism like a, it's called klipah, or klipah, a fruit's peel. Let's think about this. What comes first when you encounter the fruit? The peel. But you can't take a bite into the peel, it's not going to taste good. The peel is bitter. peel is not pleasant. But only once you take off the peel, do you find that hidden within it, is a beautiful, tasty, delicious fruit. God created the world in such a way, that to reach the goodness of life, there has to be a peel stage. A seemingly negative challenge, that we must, and must be overcome, to reveal the hidden treasure inside. Before Yaakov Avinu, the righteous forefather of our people, could come into this world, he had to be, there had to be an ace of, with whom he contended, the evil. Noah, who was gearing up to start life again on the right page, he understood that he cannot realize the true potential and goodness in this world before getting rid of the wicked raven. Only once the raven was gone, could he move on to the dove. So what does this mean? We know very well that the raven is callous and cold while the dove is warm and loving as we described. And in this sense the raven and the dove can be lined up with primary, the the primary and opposing attributes of chesed and gevurah. Kindness and strictness. They're both important attributes for life. These two traits, chesed and gevurah, are the first and primary character traits of the of the famous seven spheros that are discussed in Kabbalah, and while Kabbalah describes a detailed process of intellectual and emotional maturity that begins with chachma binadat, which is our cognitive understanding, wisdom, knowledge, and right, and then we have ten steps in the divine attributes. But the general consensus is that the emotional spectrum of these divine and human um, div- attributes, because of course we mirror the divine, that's the, the you have chesed and gavura, you could say the two primary feelings. Let me explain chesed and gavura for anyone who's not familiar. And if you study Tanya, and Tanya goes into great detail and tells us that these are the two primary features of each human being. Chesed and Gavura. Now while there's a lot to say about even just these two specific character traits, what's relevant for our discussion is how they impact the way people serve God. And if you study Tanya, you'll notice in Tanya the Altarab explains that with regards to Torah and mitzvah observance, all people can essentially be divided into two categories, generally speaking. There are Chesed people and there are Gevura people. What does that mean? What does it mean there are Chesed people and there are Gavura people? So he explains the idea. Let me read it to you in Tanya itself. He says, Among the Divine Servants, there are two degrees and levels that depending on a person's nature are distinct in their okay, now He says, Chesed is right, I think, and, and Gevurah is left. What does it mean? So he explains there, The characteristic of the left is the trait of tzintzum, contraction and concealment. Which pretty much means, you know, some people are just very disciplinary. Okay? And then, you know, maybe they're stingy when it comes to charity. Maybe they are just harder, more difficult. You could say they might be more successful in some ways. It's not, we're not saying anything bad about it. Okay? And then there are those who are more right-hearted, which is chesed. And that's more kind and generous and giving. We're not saying one is, is, is better or worse than the other. And to tell you the truth, every one of us should really have a healthy combination, a good balance of both. So when we think about both of these character traits, in the context, of course, of our spiritual divine service, the more you think about it, the chesed, gvura split, you could expand it into all areas of life. It cuts to the core of our personalities in general. Some people are more chesed-oriented. Some people are more gvura. Of course, the human persona is far more nuanced. Everyone's got a combination of both. But some people tend to be more kind, caring, generous, sensitive. and Some people are a little more callous. Think about your personality. Are you the kind of person who likes to interact with others, to share your thoughts and feelings, right? your property? have an effect on the people around you. Some people are more reserved, introverted. Maybe they prefer to keep their feelings to themselves. These two root characteristics have broad reach. And it gives us two extreme opposites of personalities. So in our case, the kind and loving dove matches up with the attribute of chesed. While you could say that the callous raven, which is cruel, could be described as embodying Gevura. And it doesn't mean that Gevura is bad and Chesed is good. Because both attributes are important and productive when used properly. But I'm talking about which one's more dominant, which one's stronger. So the dove being described as an animal that's caring, and giving, and nurturing, while the raven is stingy, (laughs) doesn't even give to its own children. So now let's understand, going back to the story of the flood, why Noah sends the raven and the dove. Why both, and why in that order? So we have Noah in the first days after the flood the most devastating destruction ever known to mankind. After witnessing the entirety of humanity descend into utter moral chaos, Noah was chosen to rebuild the human race. And quite a task before him. How would he go about such an undertaking? How would he ensure that he and his descendants never again reached such a low ethical state and what the world was full of decadence and crime and corruption as it was at that time and it needed to be destroyed, it needed a cleansing. Noah initially thought that the proper approach after the flood would be Gavurah, the raven, trying to wrap his head around how the world had fallen so low. And he realized that the that the world before Corona, before the flood, was too nice too much kindness, too much sharing. In fact, the Talmud describes what the world was like then. And it tells us, Noah looked back and realized that people were just, you know, that's why they were theft. People took things that didn't belong to them. There were no boundaries. There was no discipline. Everyone had whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted it. Nothing was off limits. Indulging in the ultimate party life. all Whatever you wanted, you had it. And they forfeited their moral compass completely. They sank to the depths of a hedonistic lifestyle. So in Noah's view, to prevent such chaos, to prevent that moral depravity of the world from happening again, he said, "Uh uh-uh, we can't have the chesed can't have such freedom. You need strict boundaries. You need punishment for crime. Without that, people are gonna just... Civilization would unravel completely. So by sending out the raven, explains Rabbi Tzadik Noah teaches us a very important lesson in dealing with harmful behaviors. With our bad habits, with addictions, with our own personal struggles and challenges. Noach saw the destruction of an entire generation of addicts. Addicts to sin, to personal pleasure, to lawlessness. His approach after the flood tells us about a healthy way to approach ourselves, our friends, our relatives, Anyone suffering from addiction, from bad habits. Someone who's stuck in some harmful behavior. How can we help them? There has to be Gevura. Noach sends out the raven. He realizes that without drawing a line, negative behavior will get worse, not better. Many people, out of a sense of kindness and closeness to someone, you love the person, so you find it difficult to draw the line firmly. Now, I would not say I'm the best parent out there, but I certainly realize as a parent, how sometimes discipline is necessary. The heart says, don't be harsh, don't be difficult, just... Give You know, give them some slack, they'll come around. But this approach could very well end up not helping. Anyone here who knows somebody who's, a, who's an addict, who has any problems, whether it's alcohol or drugs, or recreational medicine, whatever it might be. It's enabling the person. It's It's helping them to commit further harm to themselves. We shouldn't let those we love slowly destroy their lives. We have to make it clear the consequences of their actions that that's how we help them. We help them by disciplining, by not giving in. A yes man, if we're just always yes, 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 that doesn't help anyone. Now of course, you can apply this on a much broader scale. You know, a kind judge letting people get away with murder doesn't help anyone. just contributes to the destruction of society. So the tough restraint of Gavura is absolutely necessary to instill discipline, to keep society functioning moral. So after Noah witnesses the world's destruction by mankind's addiction to sin and depravity, moral corruption, the first thing Noah does, he sends out the raven. He wanted a new world order that would instill society with a stern justice system, with barriers to keep morals in place. Only in this way could the future be guaranteed. And it's for this reason that Noah sent both birds, the raven and then the dove. He wanted to rebuild a world destroyed to oblivion. It was necessary to have both. Both are needed, chesed and Gavurah. I think that these are both important attributes. You need to have that balance. That's the flood insurance we're talking about. You need a combination of strictness and kindness. You need both aspects. So because the dove represents, it symbolizes chesed. He sent it after he sent out the callous raven that embodies Gavurah. Because you need both aspects. In our lives as Noah demonstrated with the post-flood world. The pre-flood world knew no boundaries, no discipline. So to prevent this from happening again, he needed to have a combination, the balance of both Chesed and givurah. There has to be gevurah. There has to be, of course, Chesed, which we'll discuss in a moment. I FM, one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. Welcome back to Solta Sol on 101.9. Chai FM, I'm Rabbi Ari Kiban. Today we're talking about lessons and morals from the flood. So, we talked about the combination of Chesed and Givurah. The idea, let's apply this to our own personal floods, our own personal challenges and difficulties that we face in our own lives. And let's just think about this. The kind of restraint and boundary that Noah... Symbol, symbolically represented by sending both the raven and the dove, perhaps we could say that in our own psychological response to pain and trauma, so many people have had difficult experiences, especially during this difficult past few months. And many people develop this tough exterior, become cynical, guarded. Trust becomes very difficult. It's replaced instead by fear. So how do we deal with it? People have had enough pain. So some people become a raven. They become tough. They make sure nobody comes too close into their personal space. They feel if they let people get too close, then they can't survive. And of course, can't blame them. But Noah teaches us that this Gevura on its own cannot rebuild. Of course it's important to have Gevura. That's why he sends the raven to create borders because even love, you, know, you need that tough love, but it has to be balanced. Let's talk about that because we want the primary driving force in rebuilding the world after a flood to be kindness. And I think it's one thing we certainly learned in the last few months of lockdown, of this pandemic. Yes, the raven should be there to ensure that you don't get taken advantage of, you don't get into difficult, dark places. But the driving force should be chesed, love, kindness, generosity, like the dove. And that's actually the story of our people. Our nation has known more pain and trauma than is possible to imagine. You think about after being persecuted by those around us again and again. Perhaps people lost faith in God and humanity. But no, we haven't. We rebuilt. Many of our parents and grandparents lost everything they had in the Holocaust. My father is a survivor. He lived through the Holocaust in Eastern Europe. I named my daughter... Two days ago, Sima Gitl, which means a good treasure, after my mother's mother. She is one of many siblings, 13 siblings in a family, very few of them survived. She was one of the few survivors. They saw their immediate relatives, their own siblings, wiped out. And actually in their case, they moved to Israel, to British Mandate Palestine in the 1930s, when they saw the writing on the wall in Europe. But it was difficult to be chalutzim, to be pioneers. And some of them went back to Europe and never survived. And you look at that generation, they saw the world stand idly by. The survivors facing humanity could simply never be the same again. You think about these days, why many people are skeptical of authorities, why we see... Perhaps in the States, we see many people in in New York, and I'm not justifying the behavior where some people are just careless and not wearing masks. But there's a certain cynicism and suspicion that many people have of authorities. People have lost their trust. That's why never again, we want to make sure it means never again. We don't like being singled out when there are many others breaking the laws. It doesn't justify those in our community who break the law. But singling out one people? How can relationships be built? How can communities be... Uh, how can they trust? When businesses are shut down, when synagogues are closed, people lose that sense of trust in society. But we know if we look at our history as a Jewish people, we've moved on. We've built on. Deep in our souls, survivors found in themselves the ability to love once more and to trust again. So they were able to employ the necessary givurah. So many survivors understood that intervention, withdrawal and distrust will not rebuild our people. We've all known pain and disappointment in our own lives. We've all had difficulties and struggles and challenges and whatever else it was that makes us lack that trust. Sometimes the pain is caused by God. Like a Holocaust. Like a pandemic. Sometimes it's by people. Some will argue that this pandemic might be man-made. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not making any claims here. But regardless where the pain comes from, whether by people or nature which is divine it's frustrating we all agree and so how do we move forward let's learn from noah that the human soul is capable of so much more than being stuck we don't have to let pain and disappointment prevent us from reaching our true potential and therefore The love should be the overpowering one. So we understand why Noah sent the raven, because he wanted to have discipline. He believed that the flood came due to too much kindness and sharing, that there wasn't discipline. He understood that discipline and strictness of the raven that it symbolized is necessary to prevent the world from further destruction. And yes, it's true when we approach addiction and other harmful behaviors. We need boundaries. And there has to be consequences that are necessary to improve. But we also have to adopt the mentality, not just of the raven, of withdrawal and cynicism. But... We need the kindness and that's why he sends the dove three times because the kindness, the sensitivity, the cure, the love of the dove is all the more powerful and all the more necessary than the discipline of the raven. And just before we conclude, I want to look at another important message and lesson because the dove comes back with a olive branch what is the message and the lesson of the olive branch each time it waits 7 days right three times that the dove comes out and you know the simple meaning of the story we know we discussed it is that he was waiting to see that there's that uh, that the land is dry okay but i think there's another important message and lesson that we could glean from the olive branch. Okay? How did Noah learn from the olive leaf that the water abated on the earth? Perhaps the leaf was taken from an olive tree that's on top of a tall mountain, right? You know where the ark settled. It stopped on Mount Ararat. So maybe it took it from there. How does he know that the earth... Is ready to be resettled. So, the the answer, you know, there's lots of answers, I'm sure, but I want to share with you an answer from a talk of the Rebbe that he gave in the middle of the Yom Kippur War. Okay, and let's see how much we could squeeze in in our remaining time today. So let's try to just study a little bit the science of the olive tree. What is The olive tree. Olive tree is one of the strongest and iconic trees in the world. And we see actually in Israel, it's symbolism, right? It has extraordinary qualities and here are eight. Number one, olive trees have the longest lifespan of any other entity on earth. They have a potential to live 6,000 years. Individual olive trees have seen not only generations, but entire empires, kingdoms, cultures come and go. There are many olive trees in the Mediterranean region that are scientifically verified to be as old as 2,000 years. And in Israel, they say that some of these trees are 5, close to 6,000 years old. So, you know, that's one. Another one is that they're indestructible. The root system of the olive tree is so robust that it's capable of regenerating itself. Even when the above ground structure of the tree is destroyed, whatever it might be, frost, fire, disease. In Tuscany in 1985, a severe frost destroyed many productive and aged olive trees, ruining the livelihoods of many farmers. But when the new shoots appeared in the spring and the dead wood was removed, here they got new... Fruit-producing trees? Fascinating. Okay. So we spoke about their longevity, we spoke about their indestructibility. Let's look at another one. They are unparchable. Olive trees are drought-friendly. So that's another aspect. Olive trees will produce loads of fruit, even in the coolest heat, even in the uh, driest um, temperatures. That's number three. Number four, they have a durability, they have strength. The wood of the olive tree is, is is robust, it's inflexible. It's known to have strength, okay? It's so strong that they actually graft other species of tree onto it and it was unsuccessful. Number five, olives, they're considered generous, how so? Large olive trees produce about 400 pounds of olives annually. Okay, and older trees actually produce even more. Generosity. Number six, we've said before how ancient they are. Been around for many years. As old as 6,000 years. Number, uh, number seven. Olives are incredibly healthy. Yep. They are healthy. They have antioxidants. They have healthy fats and fibers. So that's another incredible benefit of olives. Okay, Even its nutrients are full of life. Eat olives, it's good for you. And number eight, the olives don't lose, the olive does not lose its foliage and it can grow its fruit all year round. So we have all of these beautiful qualities within the olive tree. Within olives. What message and lesson does this have for us? Okay, within halacha, we know olives play a very special role as well. So we can understand that the olive has unique qualities. Why is it that the dove brings back the olive branch? What is its message? Well, think in your mind, picture... um. You know, you have this downpour, the mobble. you can think about our own mobbles, the the, the difficulties that we face in our own lives, right? Does any tree have hope in the mobble and the flood? We know there were far smaller tsunamis and floods that many trees have been uprooted, okay? We see here even when these devastating storms, how trees get knocked out. But the olive tree is the one that withstands it all. Its roots are so deep, so powerful that it survives all of these. And so that's why naturally it was the olive tree that's the one that brought, that the dove brought back. But maybe even more so, it's, it was able to reproduce new generations beyond the flood of that time. And I think that is a very important message that's relevant to us, especially during these challenging and difficult times. That how to move on, how to go ahead, regardless of the difficulty that we've endured, that we've experienced, the flood that we've gone through, and the flood in the time of Noah how to continue, how to keep those qualities, how to acknowledge and realize the qualities we have and how to continue to grow and prosper and blossom. And that I think is a very important message and lesson we could all take from here. Any, uh, With that, I'm going to leave you all and wish you a wonderful and pleasant great Shabbos. Carpe Diem. Thank you for joining me.